Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. I need to shovel again. Yay. But I'll spare you the details of winter in Michigan because we have a lot to cover today. Today we have the final book of the Argonautica. So in addition to looking at just book four, I'll spend a little time on the epic as a whole. And book four, it's a doozy. It really should be more than one book. It's Well, you'll see if you haven't already read it. Um, Book four begins with another invocation of the muse, this time to sing about Medea. And, oh boy, do we have some things to sing about Medea. As you'll recall, at the end of book three, Jason had completed Aietes' tasks, which totally pissed Aietes off, so he was plotting to again prevent Jason from securing the Golden Fleece. And Aietes knows that there is no possible way that Jason could have defeated the fire-breathing oxen and the earthborn army without the help of his daughters. So he does what all good fairy tale fathers do and locks them up. But the doors and locks are no match for Medea, at least not with a little help from Hera. Uh, Using her own magic and a little divine intervention, Medea slips out of the palace and runs to the temple where she met up with Jason in Book 3. She tells him not to worry about the Golden Fleece. She knows a potion that will put the serpent that guards it to sleep. Jason promises to marry her if she helps him get the fleece. Just before dawn, Medea does as promised. She uses her magic to put the serpent to sleep. Jason grabs the fleece, and then they hightail it out of there. Jason tells the Argonauts to row like hell so that they can make their getaway before Aedes can catch up. But Aedes is the son of Helios, so he has a god on his side, too. He sends his ships after the Argonauts, um, and he divides it into two fleets. And so the fleet that's led by Absyrtus, Medea's brother, manages to trap the Argonauts. But Medea, as usual, has a plan. She convinces Absyrtus to let Jason keep the fleece, but to let the people decide her fate. Of course, she has no plans to let anyone other than herself decide her fate. This is all just a trap to separate Absyrtus from his men. It works. As directed by Medea, Jason uses the opportunity to kill Absyrtus, which allows the rest of the Argonauts to drive off the remaining ships and Absyrtus is part of the fleet. And in order to avoid the Furies, Jason dismembers the corpse of Absyrtus because apparently that was a thing that would work. Um... In other tellings of this story, it's actually a delaying tactic because the only way they can have a proper burial is to collect all of the parts. That's this version told by Euripides. That's not the version here. It's it's some way to keep the Furies from coming after Jason because he just murdered Absurdus in cold blood. Um, anyway... In order to avoid the wrath of Aetes, the survivors of Absurdus's fleet decide um, maybe they'll just settle here where their commander died instead of going back to Colchis. Um, so that's what happens to that part of the fleet. And then once again, Jason, Medea, and the Argonauts flee. But now they have this murder hanging over their heads. So Zeus decides that they can't just have smooth sailing. Uh, sound like anyone else we know? <coughs> Odysseus. <coughs> Yeah, it's going to be really hard not to think of the Odyssey from here on out. The fleet gets blown all over the Mediterranean. First stop, 
Cersei's Island. She's Medea's aunt, by the way. And Medea is thrilled to see her because Cersei can perform the rites to absolve them of the blood guilt from the murder of Absurtus. Cersei isn't thrilled, but she does it. And one interesting detail to note in this section is that Medea and Cersei speak to each other in the Colchian tongue when Medea lays out the whole story. They don't speak Greek to each other. Medea is ever a foreigner and a barbarian, even as she is securing the safety and escape of the Argonauts. Meanwhile, Hera does try to help a little. She sends Iris on multiple errands uh, to ask Hephaestus to stop hammering until the Argo is past his cliffs, to ask Aeolus, the wind god, to send a favorable wind so that Medea, Jason, and the Argonauts will be blown to Phaeacia, and to ask Thetis to help the Argo past the wandering rocks in Scylla and Charybdis. And that's, of course, what happens next. With much divine intervention, the Argo passes all of those places, Skill and Charybdis, the Wandering Rocks, the Cattle of the Sun, the Sirens, safely. Okay, one of the Argonauts is lost when they go past the Sirens, but that's a lot better than Odysseus's track record overall. Um, they make it to Phaeacia, but there's a snag. That whole thing with Absurtus, yeah, that was, again, that was only half of the Colchian fleet. The rest managed to catch up with Argo, uh, with, with the Argo at Phaeacia. Um, but you'll recall that Alcinous and Aridi are kind of awesome, um, and they must have rolled for a really long time because um, this, we'll recall, takes place before the Odyssey and their king and queen of Phaeacia. Um, and, and so they agree to mediate between the warring sides. Jason and Medea beg to get a proper wedding so that Medea can't be forced to return to Colchis. Aridi agrees, and there is a wedding, and it goes on for pages. Um, once the Colchians realize that they no longer have a claim on Medea because she is now properly married to Jason, they decide that they'd rather not face Aedes and settle near Phaeacia instead of returning to Colchis. And so, so we once again get... <laughs> I mean, it tells you what sort of a king Aetes is, that nobody wants to go back and tell him that, yeah, we went after your daughter and um, we couldn't, we, we, we failed, that they'd, they'd rather just move. Um, anyway, but the journey of the Argo, of course, isn't done. They get blown off course again, and this time they land in Libya, which we've known had to happen since the beginning of the epic when we were told that at least one of the Argonauts was doomed to die in Libya. Uh, they suffer in the desert for a while before three nymphs tell them that the way to survive is to carry the Argo across the desert to the Garden of the Hesperides, which they do. It takes several days, but they manage, and who was just at the Garden of the Hesperides yesterday? Heracles! They just missed him! But they do find water, and then they feel much better. Um, but then Canthus dies after a shepherd throws a rock at him to keep him from stealing his sheep, and Mopsus, the seer, gets bit by a snake and dies, and the Argonauts are so depressed that Triton can't stand it anymore. So he opens up a route from the lake by the Garden of the Asperities back to the sea, and the Argo is able to set sail once more. They sail on, next landing at Anafe, where they build a temple to Apollo. And then they are finally make, able to make it to Agena, from whence Jason originally hails. And that, surprisingly, is where the Argonautica ends.
where we have the Argonautica. <laughs> um, but before we look at the work as a whole, I'm going to take a few minutes to look at just book four. Um, and the thing that probably stands out the most is that it is the Odyssey, um, only significantly condensed, and with much of the adventure of the Odyssey removed, which means I'll probably wind up preferencing it when we get around to reading the Aeneid. Sorry, Virgil. Apollonius got there first. Um, anyway, the real hero of book four is Medea. Jason is fine. He's there. But Medea is the one making the plans, figuring out how to escape from Colchis and her father. She hasn't quite grown into the figure that we meet in Euripides' Medea, but we can see some glimmers of that future. And it is interesting that she's the real hero because she is a woman. But she's not just a woman. She's a foreigner, a barbarian. So she can get away with some things that no proper Greek woman would do. She's not Greek. She's an other. And while I'm on the topic of Medea and how smart she is, there is a key bit of symbolism in this book that recurs in the mythology of the Mediterranean world. Snakes and serpents represent women's wisdom. In order to secure the fleece, Medea must defeat the serpent. She must defeat the symbol of one of her great strengths. And we see similar stories, um, like when Apollo kills Python, it takes over the shrine of Delphi, a shrine that was formerly devoted to a goddess, not a god. We see it in the biblical story of Adam and Eve. It is the serpent, women's wisdom, that leads to the expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Women's wisdom is a dangerous thing. And we see it here. By defeating that barbaric concept of women having power through wisdom, Medea helps the Argonauts escape from Colchis with the Golden Fleece. There's a lot more to book four than just this, um, but that's the big theme that stands out to me is Medea as this foreign, other, wise woman and how that all must be suppressed so that this Greek story of the Golden Fleece and, and rescuing this fleece from, from these barbarians in Colchis and getting it back to Greece, um, that's what stands out to me. Um, and I think, honestly, the rest of the things and themes are probably better discussed when looking at the epic as a whole um, because it, it all it all kind of ties together. So um, we'll take one more short break before we wrap up the Argonautica. It has been really hard not to compare the Argonautica to the Iliad and the Odyssey because it's it's simply not as good. It is meandering and it includes random stories that don't always seem to have anything to do with anything. I mean, Homer may go off on the occasional tangent, but the stories are generally relevant to the character speaking. The Argonautica doesn't include as many speeches as Homer's epics, so these tangents um, tend to come from an omniscient narrator, not from a character. Um, and honestly, if you've been reading along and felt lost, you're not alone. I don't know how many times my eyes glazed over as I tried to find the plot. Um, and I can see why my epics professor didn't bother to include this selection in our class. Um, so this was a first read for me. 
I knew the story of the Golden Fleece, but I've not read the Argonautica. Um, and and this actually isn't just me talking about the Argonautica not being as good. Apollonius's contemporaries didn't think much of it. Um, and it is a pity that we have no other Hellenistic epics to compare it to. We don't know if this was par for the course of epics in that period, or if there were other epics that were far superior. I mean, we don't know if there were kind of Iliads and Odysseys in the Hellenistic period, because um, we have the Argonautica and that's it. Um, but but here's the thing. Um, if you are considering getting an advanced degree in classics, you may want to consider the Argonautica as a focus of your scholarship because because it wasn't considered that great when it was new and it does pale in comparison to the epics of Homer, there just hasn't been as much written about it. Um, think about the translations alone. You can have your pick of translations from Homer from any number of centuries and decades, um, some that are very recent. You, you could read Homer as a graphic novel, but Apollonius, not, not so much. I mean, there are some newer translations starting to be published, but, but it really has not had the same amount of work done related to it as Homer's epics. So, hey, it is ripe for scholarship. Um, and another reason that it's really hard not to compare Apollonius to Homer is that he clearly relied on Homer as a model. Now, of course, he is drawing on an existing myth, one that was pretty well known, um, but the parallels between the Odyssey and the Argonautica are hard to ignore, particularly in books two and four, when we follow the journey of the Argo to and from Colchis. Um, but all of the exciting parts of the Odyssey are removed from that return journey. While Odysseus gets tossed around the Mediterranean and everyone dies, the Argonauts escape relatively unscathed. And it all winds up feeling somewhat mundane. Um, there is divine intervention throughout all three surviving Greek epics, but in Homer, that adds to some of the excitement. Well, in Apollonius, the divine intervention serves to protect the Argonauts, which removes a lot of the thrill of the journey. So, what do you think of the Argonautica? Which translation did you read? Do you think I should have tried to get my hands on something more recent? Um, maybe when I've run out of other material to cover and I have more money to spend on books, I'll come back and revisit this epic with a newer translation. I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, please pop over to the blog and share them. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. The link to my Patreon page is there too. Patrons get early access and no ads, so please consider helping me keep this going and maybe buy some newer translations of the works I don't own. On Monday, we will read Plautus's Manek Me. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.